Welcome to the Institute for Person-Centered Care podcast, where the principles of person-centered care come alive. In this episode, experts from St. Ambrose University and the community will discuss the practices for assessing and incorporating spirituality needs in a person-centered way. This week's podcast host is Dr. Kurt Sturmer, nursing faculty here at St. Ambrose University. Kurt's doctoral work actually focuses on spirituality in healthcare. Hello and welcome to this podcast sponsored by St. Ambrose University Institute for Person-Centered Care. I am Kurt Sturmer, nursing faculty at St. Ambrose University and look forward to hosting our guest today to discuss person-centered practices around spirituality. I'd like to introduce our guests, Lisa Killinger, Becky David, and Tim Millay. It'd be help for us, helpful to hear from each of you a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how your work is related to spirituality and person-centered care. So Lisa, why don't we start with you? I'm Lisa Killinger. I'm a doctor of chiropractic and faculty member at Palmer College. I'm also the president of the Muslim community of the Quad Cities. Fabulous. I'm sure we'll learn more about you as this podcast develops. Becky? I'm Becky David. I'm a coach, a spiritual director, an interim pastor, and worked as the director of spiritual care here at Genesis for, uh, well, when I left, about 18 years total. Excellent. And Tim? Yes, I'm an orthopedic surgeon, been in practice here in uh, the Quad Cities for uh, the past 28 years, and also the uh, president of the Catholic Medical Association locally for our our guild, as well as the state of Iowa medical, or the director for the state of Iowa Catholic Medical Association. Well, it sounds like we have a uh, wide variety of uh, backgrounds, and we'll have a great discussion as it relates to spirituality as uh, this unfolds. First, let us set a common framework for what spirituality is. We need to realize the definition of spirituality is unique to each person. The professional should use each person's definition to create a plan for spiritual care. Uh, provided a definition in the term of spirituality I've used in previous projects, spirituality is a personal search for meaning and purpose in life, which may or may not be related to religion. It entails connection to self-chosen and or religious beliefs values and practices that gives meaning to life, thereby inspiring and motivating individuals to achieve their own optimal being. With this framework in mind, I'd like to pose our first question to Tim. How can a healthcare professional benefit from prioritizing spirituality in their professional and personal life? And how can that benefit those under their care? Yeah, this I, I see this as a takes one to know one type of, type of circumstance. Every individual that comes in that uh, to see see anyone in, the, in a clinical situation, inpatient, outpatient, counseling, whatever it may be, they come in with their own environment. They come in with multiple factors. They're not just a problem. I don't have somebody coming in with knee pain. I have somebody coming in with my knee hurts, and by the way, I have this issue with my family, I have this issue with my overall health, whatever it may be. So if we use that definition that you are provided about spirituality, meaning and purpose in life, is not knee pain. Meaning and purpose in life is how does that impact on my quality of life? So if, if the person attending to that individual 
is not conscious of that and not focused on that, you miss ev- you miss 99.9% of the issues. So this 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 centering of the attention on the person as a whole is is very important. Their priorities that that definition you use may or may not be related to religion is very important. Um, everybody's bringing something different, even within a single faith um, circle. Everybody's bringing a different set of circumstances to the table. So if the the person providing the care for that individual and the people around them is not, it, it preferably should have some sense of spirituality of them for themselves, and then they can better appreciate what the people who are there responsible for that they're accountable to. Uh, can expect from them. Excellent. So looking beyond the ICD-10 code and what they're essentially there for, uh, talking about the whole client or the whole person. Becky? I think one of the other things that's fascinating about this is everything from neuroscience to quantum physics is very clear about the connection between the body, mind, and spirit. And so when we see someone who presents with a physical ailment, we know that there's a connection. We trust that there's a connection also at the spiritual level. And so part of what we're going to do or or we need to do if we want to see people heal as opposed to cure something is to recognize that, um, that, that people that we encounter are dealing with whatever is presenting on all of those levels. And in order for healing to take place, we have to understand that. And I think absolutely that uh, health professionals have to be aware of the wide ranges, as was mentioned earlier, the wide range of spiritual experiences or journeys that that, pa- that patients and people bring to a healthcare visit. And also, too, we have to, in, in my faith, uh, Islam, we certainly recognize that people, individuals, are a, a body, mind, and spirit in addition to many other things, but that those things have to be in balance. And sometimes they've fallen out of balance and and in that fallen out of health in some way and so our we must as health professionals i think help people get back to their balance whatever that may be through either health care in the physical self or or um, supporting them their uh, mental journey or their spiritual journey and it's a uh, very interesting i love hearing that thank you kindly lisa but really getting beyond uh, their individual ailment, and it goes beyond what they're presenting for, right? And there are deep connections, as Becky alluded to, to well, if a person has a belief structure, whether that be um, uh, Islam or Muslim or Catholic, or maybe they're uh, a secular humanist and they have no core belief structure, so long as they have a belief in something, a spiritual path, that how much uh, better their outcomes are, whether we're talking diabetes right. or heart attacks, depression, that is well documented in the literature. So I would uh, agree to everything. It really comes down to uh, where that patient is in their life journey, asking them uh, what they feel they need to be healthy, right? And uh, tying all that together. And it really runs a little bit contrary to our current healthcare delivery system. Uh, we're kind of mentioning, uh, mentioning off the mic a little bit that our healthcare delivery system today is really about uh, seeing the number of clients, right? Kind of that old um, uh, billable hours type of thing versus caring and keeping people healthy. And so changing that uh, kind of leads me to our next question. And so, Becky, I'll let you start the conversation around what can people do, what can persons do to encourage those caring for them to improve their relationship and quality of care? So looking at it a little bit differently from the, the person aspect. Sure. 
you know, one of the things that fascinates me about this discussion is that when we talk about the the changes in healthcare over time, one of the things that, at least in my experience, doesn't seem to have moved that much is the dynamic of power between um, physician or healthcare provider and the person. And there's a real um, strong and powerful sense when you are the person seeking care that the person you're seeking care from is the expert. And to some extent, that's obviously true. I think that what we as as persons um, who become patients in the system need to recognize is that we have a certain amount of personal power that we need to bring to that relationship if we really want healing to happen. And so, so part of that is is asking questions. I, I think that that is very easy to take the, for example, the doctor's word for it, or to do what the physical therapist says we should do regardless. Um, and, I, and I think it's important to, at some level, not necessarily be well read. I think that gets us into trouble. WebMD, you know, I have cancer every day if I go look at that, right? So I think we ought to be careful about that. <laughs> but I do think it's important to understand um, that you do have choices, right? And and one of the things that if you have a, a care provider who is really not able to listen to you for whatever reason or is not able to accept your whole person, you are allowed to fire a caregiver and go find a new one. And and so I think that too teaches that that we are we take ourselves seriously and our healthcare seriously and that relationship seriously. Fabulous. Lisa? And can you Again, say the question so that I can just uh, make sure that I'm addressing the correct thing. So certainly our question was, what can people do to encourage those caring for them to improve their relationship and quality of care? So really empowering the uh, patient, incurring that, encouraging that person, or maybe it's a family member, right? So we're not talking about just the patient, but also the, the ring around them, right? So it's their immediate family, or maybe it's a, a child that lives away and they're caring for mom from a distance, right? How do we uh, give them the words to empower them? I think uh, Becky spoke very well to this, but I, th I feel like uh, I have to go back to the, the sort of triad of uh, evidence-based healthcare is that it's, you know, you're going to do evidence-based healthcare, but you have to also be aware that the clinician's experience is going to play in as well to things that they know have been helpful to them in the past. But the, I don't ever want to forget this important part of the triangle, which is the patient's preference. So we can never know what the patient's preference unless we, as Becky said, ask. So asking questions like, you know, what do you think your main concern is today? What, what do you feel is your main concern today? What is your goal for this visit? And then how can I have be helpful? And is there anyone else that could be helpful in this in this journey towards feeling better? And I think just keeping, like Becky said, questions uh, and then listening. That's the hard part. We can ask questions all day long, but unless we stop, put down the chart and listen, we'll never really understand what a patient's needs are and, and to be able to address those needs. And certainly that, you know, the clinician is empowered to ask questions, but we need to really uh, empower the uh, family members and the uh, persons that are receiving care to speak up for themselves, right? I always say no one knows you like you know you. Nobody knows your job like you know your job. Nobody knows where you are in life like you do. So help me understand how I can help you. Tim, anything else? Yeah, there are two four-letter words that are in direct conflict that I see in healthcare nowadays. One of them, the negative one is time. The positive one is data. The more data that you have, you know, the more bullet points you hit, the better your care is, which is not true. 
because if you ask patients from their side, the people that you're taking care of in the middle of all of this, what's important to you? It's that other four letter word, it's time. Even if you can't offer anything, if you say I'm stumped or you've tried everything else, I don't have any other options for you, they will be much more impacted by the time you spend with them. And I think if there's gonna be a positive impact, if you ask what can the person who's being cared for, what can they do to change the system at a basic gra grassroots level, raise your expectations, demand more, ask the questions. Um, I don't mind it when patients Google stuff before they come in. I would rather have somebody come in with reams of paper with questions because of their, it, it is giving us way too much credit to say, I am, I'm the oracle. You t give me 30 seconds of your symptoms and I'll tell you what's going on. No. And one of the best questions you alluded to, Kurt, is, and, and Lisa as well, if at the end of a first visit with a patient, my question is, what would you like to have this how would you like this to go? How would you, what's your end point with this? And most of them, they really don't know, but I want them to start that consideration. So if, just like everything else is driven by the culture, um, if you have enough people in the culture that go to see someone for their care and um, they expect, they expect their expe expectations to be met, then we're on the right track. And I, I think that our culture, you kind of, uh, touched on a hot button there. Our culture is evolving, right? Even with some of our, our public policy is changing so that Medicare, Medicaid, we can bill for a little bit more of this expanded caring for the whole person versus, hey, I gave an immunization today. Uh, here's the ICD-10 code. So I think the culture is slowly changing. But um, the other side of that coin is uh, people are throwing around person-centered uh, like gluten-free, right? And, uh, and so everybody's uh, claiming it, and it's really up to the, the provider to ensure we're delivering it, but also up to that patient to ensure or that client to ensure that they're receiving it, right? And to, to really empower that uh, family member to be uh, bold with their questions. And I, think it's, it's the, and I think it's important to remember that person-centered care is in the eye of the person. I mean, that really is what is person-centered care is um, described and defined by each person receiving care. And, and that's what makes it a little tricky, I think. Absolutely. And so, oh, go ahead. Yeah, we always, uh, one of the things that I, I harp on is um, we can have all the protocols and algorithms we want, but everything's perfect till one patient shows up. The only variable in the whole system is the patient. It, it looks great on paper, and the software says this is going to work great, but, but we're not car engines. You know, right. we're not hard drives. So every ring, the deck of cards is shuffled every new patient that comes in. Uh, certainly, person-centered care is identifying what is valued by the person and taking that we're taking care of in a collaborative health team approach. And we mentioned to co-creation of some goals um, and the plan our care with that client, right? Not this is what the computer says or what I've done for the last 15 people in your condition. And so um, kind of my last question for the day or talking point, Lisa, I'll direct it towards you. But what measures should be considered to emphasize the importance of spirituality and person-centered care in education and training for our future healthcare professionals, right? So it's it's certainly, I think my faith, uh, Islam is the most poorly understood uh, by 
Americans in general, because we're such a small minority, but also too for health professionals. And so it's important, I think, that health professionals do receive some training on um, what what a patient might need. And I've done some of those trainings here in the Quad Cities, but our community, the Muslim community, seeing such good huge growth going from a community of about 25 people to 2,500 people since 1980. And so we, uh, that means that it's much more likely today that you'll be exposed to a patient that maybe English is their first language. Maybe they have real privacy needs and maybe they have uh, spiritual needs that wouldn't be met by uh, the people that are on staff in the hospital. And also, too, that um, they may have led a very insular life. They may not have had a lot of interactions with with non-Muslims, so they might um, be very, very shy to ask questions or not feel empowered. Like like Becky was mentioning, the power differential is pretty huge. And if your English isn't your strong suit, it gets huger. So I think just that that sort of training for health professionals as well as just asking the patient if there's anyone from their faith community or or from their um, cultural community that they may wish to have with them or they may that they may wish to have um, come and help them uh, related to the spiritual aspect of their care or the cultural aspect of of their care. Absolutely. Taking away the word of church or building and uh, just making it, you know, what, who can we call for your spiritual advisor or your, your spiritual friends, right? So there's that component as well. I think um, we somehow just get locked in the mindset that church is this, this square feet, right? No, uh, spirituality is much more than that. And I would like the listeners to hear how, think about if you were from another land, from another faith, that wasn't the predominant faith, and somebody asked you, do you have a church, or is there someone from your church I can contact? They would just shake their head no, and and then they would be withdrawn and realize, I'm not, there's nothing here for me to help me. So the using of that word, not that it's a dirty word, and a church is so helpful to anybody who's Christian, but if you're Jewish or you're Muslim or you're Hindu, that word would indicate to them that my needs won't be met here. So we have to be aware of hearing that question and how absolutely devastating it is for a patient who doesn't have a church. Whether that's somebody that's, like you said, a secular humanist or somebody that just has a science-based approach to life, but that shuts down the other options that there are. Absolutely. Becky? I think of a couple of my own experiences as a bedside chaplain and one of those experiences was in, in training, doing some continuing education for other bedside staff around this question. And I think it's a very similar approach as it would be for other cultural diversity and inclusion kinds of questions, which is, I think our first approach always should be, no matter who we are, that we don't know. And it doesn't even matter what the question is, right? Because we don't. And so to walk in as um, the curious learner in every situation and to recognize that we don't have to know that our best tool is to simply ask people what they need, to ask people what would be helpful. And those kinds of open-ended questions get us much closer to true person-centered care. And it removes all of the, the baggage that I think caregivers bring about having to be the expert and having to know. I've not sat at the bedside of two Catholics who had the same kind of spiritual needs, let alone mm-hmm. a Native American person and so a Muslim true. and a Protestant. And and so I, I think it's 
um, just really important for us to recognize that even if there is a label attached that tells us nothing about what is valuable and important to the healing process for the people that we care for. Excellent. Did, did you have anything to add? Yeah, I, it's that that's an excellent point. When that's a blank slate, that person comes in to see you the first time. I I, I tell my patients to say, okay, this appointment I've never met you before. This is like a blind date. You know, I don't know if this is going to work out. I don't know where this is going to go. And in, in medical school, you know, you're taught history and physical. You, you taught that in every, every healthcare profession. The, my opinion, the most underestimated part of that is the social history. Mm-hmm. And social history, you know, okay, do you smoke? Do you drink? You know, that, well, how about exactly what Lisa was talking about, what Becky was talking about? What is your, what is important to you? What's your priority outside of the physical realm? You know, and uh, there should not be hesitation. That's not a waste of time um, from the patient standpoint, for sure. That, that person that's there, that's a, that's a critical part of their life. And telling the patient that, okay, I'm not, I'm not the boss. I'm on your team. And we're going to do what we can f- for the pe- you and the people around you in your life situation. We're going to try to do things for you. If it means we do something to you, that's secondary. Because ultimately, if we're doing something to you, surgery, whatever it may be, we're still working on doing something for you and, and centering on that particular individual, that person that um, there is a certain confidence that they develop in the people taking care of them that are working with them on their team to be able to know I got people that listen, I have people that know me, and I have people that know what's important to me. And that's, that's the biggest part of the battle. You don't have a plan until you know what you're, what you're up against. Absolutely. Well, I thank you very kindly for uh, all the discussion today. And certainly we've uh, talked and shared collaboratively across our disciplines and uh, really tried to empower not only the provider, but also empower the family members and empower that uh, patient to create a cooperative model of healthcare, right? It's a team-based approach. We're all in this team together. And uh, that we need to really look beyond uh, some of the um, what is showing up on the appointment card as to why they're there and really envelop uh, Maslow's hierarchy, right? So while we may be focused on the painful knee, uh, really what they're looking for is a little bit of love and belonging, that friendship, that respect that they are indeed human that can really help get them to self-actualization in that new spot of health where they are, right? We're not always operating at 100% of health. And uh, person-centered care really allows providers to make that difference through the eyes of the, of the patients and how patients and providers can work together to change that conversation and really foster a better healthcare system for everyone. So uh, I would like, in closing, I'd like to thank all of our guests. So thank you very much. And again, thank you to uh, Lisa, Becky, and Tim for uh, joining us today. Well, thank you. Thank you, Kurt. Thanks for listening to the Institute for Person-Centered Care podcast, brought to you by the Institute and KALA-FM. Next time, tune in for addressing body image in a person-centered way. You can learn more about the Institute for Person-Centered Care by connecting with us on Facebook and Twitter. And be sure to learn about our May conference, which focuses on social determinants of health and person-centered principles by clicking the link in our episode notes.